it's not about what the outside world thinks. It's about what does you know what do you have in that room, and the best man wins, and you give everybody a shot at it. The outside world doesn't see the summer workout on a Monday morning. They don't see that progress, but, but we as coaches do. Out of the shotgun, Jalen Hurts takes the snap. He will play action, back to pass. He scrambles to his left, and he's got all kinds of room. 20, 25 to the 30, down the far sidelines, 40, 50, into UCLA territory and out of bounds. Inside the 40-yard line, a huge run off a broken play starts this one by Jalen Hurts. There's the snap. Hurts will run it himself over the right side, makes a cut, first down, and he's going to score right through the middle of the UCA defense for a touchdown, 30 yards. Second and ten, Hurts play action again. Has time, flushed right, still looking to throw. Comes back to his left, now he does chunk it. Charleston Rambo's got it. 25-20 to the 15, to the 10, to the 5. It's a touchdown. He's a special player, you know, as, as good as I've ever had the opportunity to coach against, you know. Um, I put Jalen Hurt, Kyler Murray, who we played against last year, and Andrew Luck are probably the three quarterbacks I've coached against. Um, when you watch him out there, and he has an answer with his feet, um, and then he has an answer with his arm, you know. So I think that's what that's what makes Jalen so difficult, um, you know. Than maybe some other guys, but I think that what we got, what we saw tonight was he's a he's a really special player, you know. And uh, he did it in the first two, and he did it in the third game, and I would imagine he'll continue to do it for the rest of the year. So those calls, courtesy of Sooner Sports Radio Network, Jalen Hurts added again, and of course, just unbelievable praise by Chip Kelly. Talk about an elite group of quarterbacks, Andrew Luck and Kyler Murray, two guys, of course, that could do it all on the field. And to put Jalen Hurts in that category, someone like Chip Kelly, who's been around the block, not just in college football, but in the NFL as well, I think that that speaks volumes. Jason Kersey, as always, joins me on this Monday edition of The Outside World. Jason, hanging out in Los Angeles. What's going on, Jason? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm leaving, uh, LA, uh, here in, I don't know, a few hours and it's kind of a bummer, man. I love, uh, I love this area. It's only my second time here, but I love this area and I love the Rose bowl so much. I love it so much. It's, I I wish I could cover every game there. Tell me about the atmosphere last night. I know it wasn't a packed out stadium, but uh, still a great place to watch a football game. Don't want to compare it to the Rose Bowl game against Georgia. Two completely different circumstances. But what was it like in the building last night? Um, it's one of those things that's like, yeah, it, it wasn't. My first experience in the Rose Bowl was the the Georgia-Oklahoma game, which obviously is much different, much higher stakes. Um, but, you know, being there, uh, it's like, you know, John, you, you've done this job for a while too. Like you do this job and you travel to enough places and you meet enough people who are somewhat prominent and you, you kind of stop getting like awestruck by things, or at least I have, uh, in, in a lot of instances, but walking up and, or pulling up in the car to that Rose bowl sign, is still something that kind of takes my breath away a little bit, you know, like with the mountains in the background and it's just so beautiful. I, I love everything about that stadium and that area. And what I'll say is it's kind of a shame that, 
Uh, I said this on Twitter last night, and I think I said it in my final thoughts piece as well, that UCLA has a top five stadium in college football. They have they have top five uniforms. I love UCLA's uniforms. It's just a shame that they're so bad. I mean, they are bad, and their fans did not show up last night. So it kind of m- muted the, the experience, maybe just the s- smallest bit, but it's still the Rose Bowl, and I still had a great time. It's one of the best venues in sports, if not the best venues in sport and how many Oklahoma fans were there did, did a lot of Sooner fans make the pilgrimage from Norman yeah um, t- a ton uh, well it's a little bit hard to say how many specifically came from Norman versus I think there are you know pretty decent number of OU fans in in California or maybe in Arizona or in San Francisco who would uh, you know sort of make the the trip because this is an easier trip for them so I mean I think there was a little element of that but um, there were a lot of people that came from Norman, a, a group of uh, me and a, a group of my uh, fellow OU media uh, friends went out in Pasadena on Friday night, and we ran into a lot of uh, a lot of OU fans, a lot of really um, cool OU fans. In fact, we had one guy buy us a bunch of beer, which has never happened to me in my life before. I've never had that experience. So, and I think they're athletic subscribers. So, if you're listening, thank you very much for that. Um, but yeah, it was cool. It, it was uh, it, it felt in many ways like an OU home game. Obviously, it's not their home stadium. Um, they had to travel. They had to get used to the time change. All those things. But uh, OU fans showed out in a big way. Let's get to the action on the field, Jason, because I, we we heard the. The calls from from the Sooner Sports Radio Network about Jalen Hurts' unbelievable night. Um, I want to go over some of his numbers. He was 15 for 20, uh, three touchdowns, no interceptions, 14 carries, 150 yards. That's obviously over 10 yards a carry, and he cashed in for a tutty as well on the ground. 99 yards rushing on the first drive for the Sooners. Like, how is that possible? How does that work? Well, they had a pretty, uh, they didn't have a great kick return on the opening kick, so they were pushed back a little bit. He had a 52-yard run. Then they had a holding penalty that pushed him back. So they already started the drive back, and then the holding penalty gave him a chance for 10 extra yards. So that's kind of how that happens. But uh, unbelievable. I mean, he is, and what's crazy about Jalen Hurts, and I guess I hadn't watched him a ton because I, didn't cover him a ton at Alabama. But one thing that sort of blew me away about watching him run, especially in the open field like that, is he doesn't seem like he's running that fast. He, he almost looks like he's out for a leisurely jog. He's, you know, he's gliding, he's moving so fast. He glides yeah. out there. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. he, he's a guy that glides. You know, when you think about someone like uh, C.D. Lamb, you know, when he turns on the Jets, man, you're like, whoa, that guy's going quickly. Those or legs or are even fast. Kyler Murray, yeah. Yes, that's a great point. He the, the running style styles are a lot differently. When Jalen gets out into the open field, he's gliding. You're exactly right, and, and as somebody who has watched his his career very closely, um, Jalen Hurts. When I was with the SEC Network, um, a lot of people would be shocked um, his top speed because it, it barely looks like he's even trying. Yeah, well, and it was a little bit hard to tell too because UCLA's defense is really bad too. So it was a little bit hard to tell. Like, is it look like he's moving in slow motion because they're so slow, or is that just how he runs? And I think that's just how he runs. It, it really is. It, it's remarkable, and I think OU fans uh, get used to it because you're going to see him using his legs a lot uh, in this Lincoln Riley offense. What'd you think about the play calling last night? Uh, what do you think about the progression of this offense? Jalen Hurts, obviously, this is only his his third game uh, in this offense. Do you think it's clicking on all cylinders, or do you still think there's some work to do? Well, that's the thing that's so 
funny, interesting about all this. OU in three games is averaging 676 yards per game. They're averaging 10.5 yards per play. That's a first down per play. That I mean, I, I know that that is probably not sustainable. But what's interesting is it's not it's probably not sustainable, but Lincoln Riley and Jalen Hurts continue to come into the media room after these games and say, oh, well, you know, we, we can do a lot better. There's a lot we still have to improve on. There's a lot of things we have to fix. It's not all about the stats. My question is, what the heck more do, do, does Lincoln Riley expect? Does he expect 1,000 yards a game? I mean, I, I really want to know what would be acceptable to him. Like, what would be good enough? Because they pretty much seem unstoppable. I mean, when, when you think about, you know, it, it's – I guess it's funny to me because OU uh, goes out, they they score a touchdown on the first drive, and then you know later on they have a drive where they have to sell for a field goal, and there's a few drives where they have to punt, and and that almost feels disappointing. You almost think like, what's wrong that they're punting right now? But it's like they only punted twice in the game. They they didn't punt at all in the first game. So uh, Lincoln Riley and you know these series of quarterbacks have spoiled us so much as consumers of this uh of this uh, product that anything short of a touchdown feels disappointing my favorite number to come out of the game was by far jason the fact that through three games jalen hurts has 12 incompletions and he has 13 total touchdowns that's absolutely absurd and you talk about that that the yards per game and you talk about averaging a, a first down per play I mean this thing is just truly getting out of hand I think there's people across the country right now Jason watching this Oklahoma offense and they are absolutely drooling because quite frankly it's beautiful yeah it's it's he's what what Lincoln Riley is doing is the sort of thing that I mean it's it's so shocking to people what they're able to do that it sort of reminds you, I think of what, frankly, we, we used to think when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, you know, when, uh, when there have been some of these revolutionary offenses and that's, that's what they're doing right now, but they're even pushing the envelope further. I mean, it is, it is a, it is a thing of beauty. They can run the ball. They can throw the ball. They've got playmakers all over the field. Um, and I, I just can't imagine how it could get better. I mean, that is the thing that I am, am most interested to, to maybe see if Lincoln will spend some time this week actually detailing with us is in what ways do you think that it can get better? Because, uh, yeah, I mean, there are little things that are obvious. I mean, they had some holding penalties. They've, they've had a, little, a few problems with penalties here and there. Uh, they've been a little bit sloppy on the offensive line, which is to be expected. They've got four new starters up there. But, um, I mean, what, what more – do they want? And I, and I, I also understand that football coaches, uh, especially successful ones like Lincoln Riley get to where they are because nothing is ever good enough and they push themselves and they get better and all those things. But my God, man, they are just, they look unstoppable. You know, Jason, I'm reading your, your final thoughts column here on the athletic, the day after final thoughts from Oklahoma's easy victory against UCLA. And by the way, this is our free episode and if you're not an athletic subscriber, make sure you do subscribe at theathletic.com slash the outside world where you can go and read this post-game takeaway column from Jason. And when you talk about nitpicking, there is a bullet point there from you about C.D. Lamb uh, and how maybe he could get a little more involved 
in the offense. Uh, Talk me through that as far as what you're not seeing that maybe you'd like to see in the future. Well, again, it is it is absolutely nitpicking. I mean, it just is. They, the, the CD Lamb. I mean, the OU offense has been so unbelievable. But um, you know, CD Lamb had a had a big game or big half really against South Dakota last week. But in the first game against Houston, only had one touch. It was a forty five yard touchdown, but only one touch. Uh, against UCLA, he has a uh, a thirty nine yard touchdown in which he was wide open. Um, and he had a, a rushing touchdown, uh, one-yard rushing touchdown. But uh, other than that, he didn't get the ball at all. And, you know, C.D. Lamb is one of these guys that we talk about as a uh, potential Bolitnikoff winner before the season. We talked about him as an All-America candidate, uh, as a, you know, guy who could skip this season or next season and enter the NFL draft and be a first-round pick next April. So it is – weird that he's not getting the ball more. And I understand that teams are probably game planning around him. And he is a guy who uh, obviously um, teams are aware of, and then they're going to, they're going to craft everything around slowing him down and they do that. And then other guys step up, Charleston Rambo, Grant Calcaterra, the running backs, there's a million Jalen hurts. There's a million options they have there, but I don't know. It's like CD lamb last year in this game against UCLA and Norman made some unbelievable plays and had a huge game. And I don't know. I, I don't even want to say it's disappointing because how can you be disappointed in this offense? But CD lamb is like such an all world talent that I, I don't know. It just kind of leaves you wanting more of him. And, and, and I, you know, wide receivers are, and CD, I'm not saying anything bad about CD specifically at all. He's not complained once. I'm not saying anything about him specifically, but you know, wide receivers are sort of naturally uh, guys who want the ball in their hands, especially great ones like him. It's part of what makes him so great. So I just kind of wonder how he feels about, you know, not getting the ball in his hands as much as he probably would like to. Guys who had just started to maybe get the ball thrown their way. You mentioned uh, at the tight end position, Grant Calcaterra finally got into the action. Lee Morris as well caught his first two passes of the season, combined for four pass, four catches, 83 yards. Uh, we've talked about how important it is for, for other guys to step up. You know, against, against, let's just be honest, inferior Opponents, and that's what Oklahoma has faced so far this season. Uh, against those teams, it's easy for your for your stars to go out there and play well. But during those games, you should see your secondary pa- pass catchers get some action. Are you inspired by that? Are you are you happy to see that? And and what should OU fans expect out of the tight end possession now going forward? Well, yeah, I mean, tight end has been such a big part of what OU does, and obviously these guys typically aren't your your you know. Um, uh, traditional tight ends. I mean, they line up in the slot a lot. They uh, and those sorts of things. But you know, Jason, uh, is anything traditional in, in Lincoln Riley's offense? I mean, no. It, it, it's no, so unique at this point. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. That's, you can't that's expect a, anything to be. That's unique, a yeah. that's a very fair point. But yeah, I mean, Grant Calcaterra and and Lee Morris both uh, played pretty big roles in the offense last year, especially late in the year. Lee Morris as a guy who was a walk on who really came on. Um, last season at one point had this ridiculous touchdown to reception ratio 
And so for you know it was very noticeable that he only caught two or caught zero passes in the first two games and it sort of made you wonder because you know Lee Morris was a teammate with Kyler Murray at Allen High School and so they already had sort of a connection you made it maybe made you wonder if maybe that was that was why he wasn't as involved but he gets out there makes a couple of plays and again it may you just have to remember there are so many options in this offense and so uh, guys are not going to uh, it's impossible for them all to have you know, 50 receptions in a season. It's just not practical. And so, uh, but it, but it was interesting. It was good to see those guys get, get involved again. Um, and uh, especially, you know, with Grant Calcaterra, especially because he's a guy who Kyler Murray and then even Jalen hurts in the first couple of games, because he's going across the middle a lot, he kind of gets murdered on a lot of receptions. Um, and yesterday that didn't really happen. He, he, both of his receptions, he, he didn't get creamed the way we've, we've come to expect him to. So that was interesting as well. But another guy you got to highlight is Charleston Rambo. I mean, this is a guy that, um, came in as a pretty, pretty highly recruited kid, red shirted his first year. Didn't play much last year until he had sort of a breakout moment in the orange bowl with Marquise Brown limited. He catches a long touchdown against Alabama um, but it still sort of felt like maybe he was going to be a guy who fell off just because they had CD Lamb, they had those tight ends, and they have these three five-star freshmen who are all coming in, all enrolled early. And uh, Charleston Rambo is currently OU's leading receiver, and he's played really well. He's got four touchdowns through three games, um, had 100 yards yesterday. So Charleston Rambo is a guy who's sort of um, delaying, I think, the arrival of some of these five-star freshmen. So OU just has a lot of weapons right now. They're just they're, they're, They look... Like, I mean, they look like the great offense we've come to expect, but even the things that they're doing now are, are kind of unprecedented. So if you're an OU fan, you're feeling great about the offense, obviously, and you, and you have for years. But on the other side of the ball, you haven't felt so great about that. And, and there has been some signs of improvement, a couple of interceptions yesterday. Uh, what's your takeaway from the overall defensive performance against UCLA? I th- I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I I I know that it's natural to be skeptical of this defense. It's totally fair given what the product that they put on the field the last couple of years, and it's going to take time. But there are a lot of encouraging things through these first three games, and there were a lot of encouraging things yesterday. Um, they only gave up fourteen points. Um, they limited UCLA to about 311-ish yards, 4.9 yards per play, which is the, the lowest uh, they've given up since the middle of last season against a pretty subpar Kansas State team. And, um, and you know, you look at the, the, the play of the defensive line, Ronnie Perkins, Jalen Redmond, LaRon Stokes, all guys are making plays. They had four sacks yesterday. They, they held UCLA to 3 of 13 on third down. Um, they had the two interceptions. They already right now have almost half as many takeaways through three games as they had in 14 games last season. So, um, those are all very positive signs. Now it is definitely fair to say they are going to face better offenses and better quarterbacks moving forward. Uh, Sam Ellinger, uh, is, is, is there down the road. Alan Bowman, uh, against Texas from Texas tech had a really big game against them last season. Um, there's Charlie Brewer at Baylor, Brock Purdy at Iowa State. I know that they had a pretty rough day yesterday, but still a very talented quarterback. I mean, they, there are quarterbacks down the road who are who, who may present some challenges. Um, but overall, I mean, there you you have to be excited about the play of the linebackers. Um, Jaden Davis is a freshman cornerback who 
has kind of come out of nowhere and seems to uh, really perhaps even be pushing to start right now. There's a lot to be excited about. The only thing on defense, position group-wise, that, that I would say is is really concerning is safety. I mean, they the, the safeties have really struggled. Um, and beyond that, the, the we've been hearing from Alex Grinch since – the spring that he doesn't like his depth at safety. So uh, you don't really know where the answers are going to come if they're not going to come from the starters, Pat Fields and Delaire and Turner yell. And maybe those guys will improve. They've had their moments. But but generally speaking, um, I, I, I don't see how you can look at this defense as anything other than improved, markedly improved from what we saw last season. And, uh, and you would expect that it will only get better. Now the only, again, concern is as it gets better, the competition is going to get harder. I'm glad you started to look at maybe a little bit big picture because um, that's my specialty. Uh, what I do is I produce the Audible with, with Stuart Mandel and Bruce Feldman, produce the Andy Staples show as well. Uh, if you want to have a closer look at, at the national picture, go ch- check out those podcasts as well um, on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, and as well as the Athletic app. Uh, bonus episodes every week, by the way, so make sure you hit that link I shared with you earlier theathletic.com slash the outside world to get more of a a national picture of the college football landscape. The schedule remains the same, and I think where uh, maybe something has changed, and I I say this tongue-in-cheek, that trip to Kansas uh, on October 5th, all of a sudden, KU gets that big win uh, up in Chestnut Hill in Boston, Jason. That could be a tough Tough road game for the Sooners. Obviously, I'm just playing. I was I was about to say, John, come on, <laughs> come on. That's not going to be a tough game. But I see your point. Hey, you know what though? To be fair to the Jayhawks, got to be fair to the Jayhawks. Couple things. First, that was a hell of a win. It really was. It was shocking that they scored 48 points. I would never have guessed that. Uh, shocking that they win a Power Five road game by that many, especially when they were such a big underdog. So good for them. And last season, let's not forget in Norman. Kansas scored 40 points on OU's defense. So, hey, you know what? Uh, don't want to be too hard on the Jayhawks. They seem to be improving. But I still don't But I still don't think that game's going to be tough. <laughs> Me neither. But I'm glad you mentioned the, that 40 points that KU put up on that OU defense last year because they can maybe use that as motivation because that game is on the road in not the best uh, place on the schedule. The week before, obviously, the biggest game of the season the cliche would be trap game i'm not going to call it that but it could you could easily overlook kansas um obviously and and look ahead towards that that texas game and the cotton bowl but alex grinch he'll have some motivation go look back at the tape last year and motivate his guys to go on the road and win so from the national perspective here jason that that that's where i think the next step is and where we'll continue to go on these uh episodes of the outside world with you and i um and the reason why I want to do that is because the, the, the top of college football, the cream of the crop, there seems to be a clear dividing line. And Oklahoma is in that top tier. So you've got to keep an eye on what Alabama's doing. You've got to keep an eye on what Clemson's doing. You've got to keep an eye on Georgia as well. LSU now maybe in the mix, arguably part of that top tier this year as well. Where does Oklahoma stand right now within that group after seeing this weekend's games has your mind changed at all in that regard um not really i mean I, you know our our uh, 
colleague and and my boss, so I better be really careful here. Stuart Mandel says that uh, you know I think in his rankings that he put out last night, he had OU at six um, behind uh, behind. Uh, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, Alabama. Uh, uh, Clemson, LSU. I should have pulled it up before I started trying to rattle it off. That's right. Um, I'll grab it. Uh, and I know LSU is in front of them. I'm not ready to put LSU in front of Oklahoma yet. I think with the way they're playing offense, with the defense being improved at this point, uh, I would I would have OU probably in the top four behind probably uh, your Georgia, Alabama, Clemson. Uh, not in that order, but those three, and then maybe have OU just ahead of Ohio State. I, I'm not sold on LSU yet. I know that they scored a big road win against Texas, and, and that certainly was impressive. Um, but I, I'm kind of at a point with LSU now after all these years of of kind of being disappointed by by them late in the season that I, I'm going to need to see it to believe it. But, um, but, but in terms of a national perspective, I mean, OU is in the mix. And obviously – right now these rankings and all of our opinions don't really matter. LSU, Georgia, and Alabama um, as three SEC teams in the top six or five or four or whatever, um, they're not all going to get in the playoff, I wouldn't think, unless something truly crazy happens. So it doesn't really matter at this point, but, you know, and and I'm fully um, willing to admit that I'm so focused on OU and covering OU that that's – the team that I pay the most attention to. So I, I don't want to let any sort of, of bias just based on my proximity creep into that. But it seems to me that OU probably still belongs in the top four. Stuart Mandel has Clemson ranked number one. He's got Ohio State from the Big Ten at number two. Ohio State and Justin Fields, they do keep rolling in that offense under Ryan Day does look very dynamic. Georgia at number three. They've got a massive game coming up this weekend at home against Notre Dame. Bama at four, LSU at five, and Oklahoma at six. That's his top six right now, and in my opinion, that's the top tier. I didn't mention Ohio State in that group, and and Stu has him at number two. Uh, I would flip maybe where Oklahoma is and where Ohio State is. I'd make the argument right now that Oklahoma – is the second best team in the country behind Clemson. I really would make that argument, Jason. And the reason why is because of Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position. They've got somebody who's been there and done that. Ohio State does not. They just simply don't. LSU, they don't either. They simply do. They simply don't, excuse me. So to be willing to put Ohio State and LSU ahead of Oklahoma right now is saying that you trust you trust Justin Fields and you, and you trust Joe Burrow more than you do Jalen Hurts, and that's ridiculous. We're going to get fired, John. But um. <laughs> <laughs> We love you, Stu. We love you, Stu. And by the way, you, Stu, you know you put out these rankings to, to cause yeah. uh, some discussion, and here we are having it. Uh, no, I, I'm just kidding, obviously. I, I don't think Stu cares about that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that brings up a, you know, sort of an interesting, also, uh, interesting thing about Jalen Hurts. He has been there, and that is why I think we continue to get nothing out of him in the way of uh, praising himself or or their performance right now. And that's the thing OU, I think, has kind of needed in some ways. They've needed a leader like that. And that is taking nothing away from what Baker or what Kyler did. Those guys were unbelievable quarterbacks, two of the greatest seasons in college football history at the quarterback position, and well-deserving of their Heisman trophies. Um, 
and well deserving of their of their NFL draft uh, picks. But Jalen has been there before. He knows what it's like to play in the national championship game because he's done it three times, and he knows what it takes to get to to that level. And so you know, having that between Alex Grinch transforming the defense and then that attitude on offense that look guys I've been there before and we're not there yet um, let's not get ahead of ourselves attitude I think is is really good for OU they they I mean I've said it before and, and I'm sure OU fans don't like hearing it but it's a fact they are coming up on two decades without a national championship and you know given how successful they were through the Stoops years all the big 12 titles <clears throat> all the Heisman winners, et cetera. It's sort of crazy to think that, that that's the case, but it's the truth. They have not won a national championship in, in almost 20 years. And so, uh, you know, Jalen Hurts knows what it takes to get there. He knows what it takes to win there. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I, I think that that attitude is good for them. It really is. And Oklahoma is heading into a bye week, an off week, if you will. Uh, how do you feel about this off week coming right now? Uh, before the Big 12 slate really starts to kick in. Do you, do you think it's a good time to have the bye week, or would you have, rather have it a little bit later in the season? I think it's a good time for them to have the bye week. Um, you know, you get, you get through your non-conference slate. You, next up is this nine-game conference slog that they're going to have to go through. Um, Texas Tech is, is you know, a, a team that is, you know, rebuilding and, and changing under a new regime with Matt Wells, but it's still, a you know, a team and a quarterback that has had success against OU in the past. So, uh, By got, the way, Jason, I, yeah. I watched that Texas Tech-Arizona game last night, a little bit of Pac-12 after dark while Andy Staples and I were up. Uh, getting the finished product together, the Andy Staples show, the the recap of the the full picture, and Texas Tech looked bad. Yeah, no, I I, I know. I I'm not I'm not saying they're going to be any anywhere near OU's biggest challenge, but um, you know Texas Tech has had trouble in the past and then put up fights against OU, mostly because of what they're able to do offensively. So that, I guess my point is that I, I think that they're going to be an interesting challenge if they go out and shut them down in two weeks. I think that is another good sign for this defense, even if Texas Tech is not the Texas Tech that maybe they've been in the past. I still think that's a good sign. But, yeah, I think the, the bye comes at a good time. You have uh, your non-conference late behind you. You've got this nine-game Big 12 schedule coming up, and um, it really kind of gives them a chance to reset, to refocus, to see what they've done well, see what they've done wrong, maybe reconsider tinker with the depth chart, figure out some different things. So I think it's a good time, and, and uh, I'll be interested to see how they use that bye week. Maybe the better question would be uh, not how Oklahoma uses that bye week, Jason, but how are you going to use that bye week, my friend? <laughs> uh, well, I'm going to uh, hang out with my wife a little bit. I haven't really been able to do that much lately, so I'm going to try to enjoy some uh, some family time. Obviously, we've got some interviews early in the week. There's no Lincoln Riley press conference on Monday like there normally is. Um, uh, because of the bye week, but we'll have some player interviews Monday and Tuesday night, and uh, I'm gonna do do a little work, and I'm gonna try to enjoy the the time off with uh, with a wife, and and also enjoy a Saturday of uh, sitting around watching some other college football games. Very nice. That was my question. You know, on, during this bye week, do you find yourself wanting to watch other games, or you do? Oh do yeah. you Completely remove yourself from from the sport. No, I I, I don't. I wouldn't say that. I. I certainly enjoy the, the, the time, the, you know, the week 
off uh, as much as I mean, I truly love the games are the best part of the job. I mean, let's be real. The going to the games, I still get excited and and stuff walking up uh, to cover a game through the tailgates. That stuff still sort of makes me excited and gets my juices flowing. So I love covering games, but it's also going to be nice to kind of have a Saturday to sit around and check out what the rest of the country's doing because you really don't get a chance to do that much uh, when you cover one team. You don't get as much of a chance to watch the other teams as, as you maybe would like. So it's a nice chance to do that. But, you know, uh, I, I don't know, though. It's entirely possible that on Saturday my wife's going to have a lot of plans for us that don't involve college football. So I guess I can't say for sure what I'm doing. <laughs> Smart man. Don't make the decision. Just put it all on yeah. her plate and let her, let her tell you what to do. But you know what the bye week offers us here on the show, The Outside World, Jason? It gives us an opportunity to maybe take a step back away from the day-to-day grind that is the college football season and talk about some of the outstanding reporting and storytelling you've done um, on The Athletic exclusively for our subscribers. Uh, You wrote an unbelievably uh, poignant and fascinating story this past week uh, titled His Brother's Keeper, uh, Oklahoma's Bookie Radley Hiles Plays Football and Lives for Two. This is something that we are going to talk about in depth on Thursday's show this week. Can you tell us about the project? Can you tell us about how it uh, came together and the reaction you've got after writing it? Yeah, um, you know, I, I I started on this story basically in April um, because I interviewed Buki's mother, and she um, you know talked to me a lot about this this for her oldest son who died when he was seventeen. It was a tragic uh, situation that you know. Uh, in Inglewood, California, he was really just sort of caught in the middle of this drug dispute that he had nothing to do with um, and was killed when he was 17. He was he just graduated high school. He was about you know, a month or two away from moving to Grambling to play for Eddie Robinson at, at Grambling State. And, um, you know, he 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 died and, and she uh, gave birth four years later to, to Buki, who um, basically views himself as a vessel for his uh, his late brother who, who he never met. And, um, it it was, uh, you know, I got a chance this summer to sit down with Buki and talk one-on-one with him about this story. I talked to his other family members. I talked to Inglewood police about the incident. Um, it's been, it was a lot of work. Um, it's a really long story. It was a really heavy story to write, but it's the sort of thing that I really love doing. And the reaction has been great. People, people seem to really, uh, have, have enjoyed it. I think it really gives you a peek into what drives this guy because Buki was a five-star recruit, one of the highest ranked, highest, uh, highly anticipated defensive recruits to sign with OU in a long, long time. And last season as a true freshman, he started 11 games, didn't quite live up to those expectations that people had set for him. Um, but the, uh, you know, when you, when you learn more about his background, his family and what drives him, um, I think that, you know, you, you, he, you can find that he's a pretty easy guy to root for. And so, um, I, I hope people will read it and I'm looking forward to, to having a chance to, to dive into that a little bit more, uh, on Thursday. How about working for the athletic and writing for the athletic, Jason? Do you find yourself having the opportunity to write things like this maybe more often than you, you've you've had the opportunity to in the past? So, uh, certainly, I mean, I, I've gotten to do a lot of cool things through my career at other places, but you know this 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 kind of story, you know, this level of detail, um, the amount of time I was given to work on it, 
the uh, you know the the resources to be able to to come. I came out to California two days early uh, this week uh, specifically to to finish up my reporting on this story. The um, and, and the length, I mean, the story is three about, I think it's around 3000 words. Um, you just don't get that, especially in a, in a print product anymore. You don't really get that kind of room. So, um, all of those things I, you know, I've said it a million times that I love working for the athletic. I love it so much. It's a, it's a wonderful place to work. It's a wonderful place for writer, a writer to work, uh, the, the opportunities that you get to do things like this. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of, the, of, of this story and how it came out. And, and I really do hope that people, people enjoy it and, and, uh, are as moved by the story as I was. You should be proud because it is a fantastic work. And, you know, if, if you've read it on the athletic, um, I look forward to, um, hearing more about it on, on Thursday. But if you haven't read it yet, I urge you to go to the athletic.com slash the outside world, um, to read this, this unbelievable piece by Jason that we'll discuss more at length on Thursday. I'm John Hayes. Of course, you're going to hear me every week on the show, The Outside World. I'm going to give you my national perspective on the Sooners. Jason's going to be your go-to guy on the beat, one of the best journalists in the biz, covering Oklahoma closer than maybe anybody in the country. Uh, Hanging out in L.A., man. I'm jealous of you right now. I'm back on the East Coast. Um, I'm I'm in Charlotte hanging out at my place and and you've got to spend the last five (laughs) days in in Los Angeles. Uh, More power to you. Yeah. You know, the only thing that's been weird and even five days later is the, is the Pacific time. I, 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 uh, I'm still not used to it. A couple nights ago, I was going to call my wife. I got done writing that, that story about Buki on Thursday night, wrapped it up, finished up my editing. Uh, by the way, that's another thing I should say is the editing that I was able to do. The editing I got on this story from Mike Huguenin was, was phenomenal. Um, and that's the other thing I I really get here that that's been awesome. But anyway, um, it wrapped up that story about eight o'clock. I was like, I'm going to call my wife, see how she's doing. And I had to remember that it's 10 o'clock and she's in bed. Um, and, and then this morning I'm, I'm working and you know, normal 10 30. Um, and I look at Twitter and people are tweeting about NFL games. I'm like, wait a minute, it's 10 30. So I'm still quite not used to that. And now I'm going home back to, to, to good old central time that I'm a little more used to. But, but I am not complaining about my time in California. Don't get me wrong. Good, man. You're at the Rose Bowl, and, and a lot of people would have loved to be uh, in your shoes on Saturday night as the sunset uh, happened over the mountains during, during the, the game. What an unbelievable view that must have been from the press box. Oh, man. It's, there's just nothing like it. There's nothing like it. Safe travels, Jason. Uh, I will talk to you soon. Thanks, John. Hey there, listeners. We're excited to share some big news. Our team here at The Athletic and our friends at Wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called The Lead that we know you are going to love. The Lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown. With the help of The Athletic's more than 400 sports writers and editors, co-host Kavitha Davidson and Anders Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You're about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. So don't miss an episode. There's also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash the lead to read stories featured on the lead.
you can follow sports through sound bites or the full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines. What do, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first. This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter. Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. That's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys. From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery, the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator. I'm Kavitha Davidson. And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Go beyond the box score five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are you kidding me? I've never seen anything like that. The lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now. The lead. Sports up close. Hey, hey, I need some more of that.